You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. My name is D'Amico Bivens. I'm one of two of your newest church planning residents here. Thank you, thank you. If you're trying to figure out which resident I am, I am the one who did not just have twins. I would look a lot more tired and fatigued if me and my wife just had twins, but I do have a beautiful wife and two beautiful children. Uh, Makai's upstairs probably being a bulldozer, as he is described often, and Mila is probably in the back cooing, as she often does. But Raph and I, uh, and our wives and our children, moved here from Mississippi to be a part of God's mission to reach the city of Houston with the gospel. Uh, So our church in Mississippi was praying about Houston and how we could move here and be a part of what God is doing in the city. So we started to dream about planting a church in the city and reached out to Sojourn, and we really love what Sojourn stood for, and by God's grace, we are with you guys today. So we'll be a part of a a minimum of two-year residency here at the church, and so we've got to visit a lot of parishes, and I've met a lot of you guys, but if you haven't met me or my family and would love to do that, maybe have a dinner or coffee, something along those lines, we would love to meet with you. Raph and I are still in need of what we call ministry team members, people who would help us throughout this residency process leading into when we plant the church. Uh, so we need people to pray for us, connect us to other people who might be willing to hear more about what we're doing, and then also support us financially. If that's something that you'll be interested in hearing more about, please uh, talk to me following the gathering. So I have the privilege, privilege of bringing the Word of God to you today. Uh, just a little bit about myself. I grew up in the historic African-American church, and if you know anything about that preaching, we would say that that preaching is dialogical, meaning it's an exchange from pulpit to pew. So if I say something that registers with you, you can say amen. It won't throw me off. Hey, there you go. There you go. That's, that's a good start. So if you do that, I'm okay with it. Uh, if, if you can't say amen, say ouch if something uh, pricks you a little bit. So yeah, we exchange from the pulpit to pew, dialogical, uh, roll with me as I preach. But so, so we'll get <laughs> a little bit of background on the book of James, we'll pray and then we'll dive into the word. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. So you've heard of sibling robberies, and uh, my, I have a younger sister, and she always thought that my mom thought that I was her favorite uh, and parents aren't supposed to have favorites, but if your half-sibling is God, uh, I can see how your parent would have a leaning towards him as the favorite. So we see James, we read about James in Acts 12 and 15, and we see that James is on the come up. He's, he's rising in prominence uh, amongst the Messianic church. So these, this church was made up of Jewish Christians, Jews that had place their faith and hope in Jesus Christ of salvation. So James was a part of the first Christian community ever. This Christian community fell on hard times after a famine struck the land. Not only that did a, did a famine sh- strike the land, but they were also being persecuted by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. James was a, a pillar in the church. He was a peacemaker, yet he was still murdered. The book of James begins like a letter. If you look at the first few verses of James 1, you see that it was written to the 
12 tribes of the dispersion. This was written to people primarily outside of Jerusalem. They were dispersed because of persecution. Persecution led to the advancement and spread of the gospel. James, in his letter, called people to live by the way Jesus summarized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Jesus would say that we should love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Chapter 3 through about three-fourths of the way through chapter 4, talk about the sin of dissension in the community or the sin of dissension in the church at that time. And I don't think that it was ironic that James addressed taming the tongue as his first work in talking about the sin of dissension. So James is saying in this letter that something as small as the tongue can have a great impact on the people around us more than we know. Let's pray, and we'll see more about what James has to say about this. God, you hear us. God, you are good. God, us having faith in you is a gift from you. Because you saved us, we work from salvation. We don't work for our salvation, but you also say in your word that faith without works are dead. We do good works because we are saved. God, illuminate your word, captivate our hearts. For those who have been following you for a long time, God, renew them. And God, for those who have never placed their hope and faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, I pray that you would open their hearts and their ears. God, I pray that after this sermon, someone who has never put their faith and hope and trust in you would do that. And as the community of Christ, the body of Christ, your bride, we would walk with them through their newfound faith. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Loose lips sink ships. Sticks and stones break my bones, but words may never hurt me. These are just a couple of phrases that that categorize and talk about the impact that our words have on us. The first came from propaganda posters during war times. Loose lips sinking ships talked about how in an attempt to cut down on careless talk, The United States didn't want critical information getting to the Axis forces. If that information got to the Axis forces, it could lead to mass casualties. People could figure out ship lanes and troop movements and could lead to a lot of deaths. The latter were schoolyard instructions that we were taught. It encouraged us to have tough skin. Sticks and stones do the real damage, right? Not words, right? We know that not to be true. We know that words do hurt. In grade school, they hurt, and they hurt now. Speaking can have good or bad effects on those who hear. But why are words so potent and potentially harming? Scripture addresses this in Proverbs 18 and 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and who love it will eat its fruit. So, so what is this saying? So I heard this a lot growing up, you know, watch what you say, death and life are in the power of the tongue, but what does this mean for us? Why is what we say so important? What Proverbs 18 and 21 does for us and what is at the heart of what it's saying is saying that the words that we share has a direct correlation with what is in our hearts. What you say, how you say it, when you say it has everything to do with what is in your heart. 
Who you are at your core comes out in what you say. If your heart is evil, you will express that in what you say about others and how you treat other people. If your heart is good and seeking after righteousness, you will bless God and you will bless others. If you think words don't matter, think about if you have ever been bullied. Bullied for being overweight or underweight, too tall, too short, not having nice clothes, maybe having a distinct body odor, being called ugly, being too pale, too dark. Words matter. If you don't think words matter, remember the time someone told you that blue was your favorite color and how because of that you wear blue a lot more often. Or the time someone noticed that you got a haircut and they talked about how it accentuated your cheekbones and now you have that same haircut. Words matter. If you know about the Bible, or even if you don't, when the Bible starts, God speaks. God speaks. God uses words to create the world and to create us. So God speaks. We see God's creation in Genesis 1 and 3. God said, let there be light. And when God saw the light, he saw the light was good. God also creates Man in his own image in Genesis 1 and 26, you hear God saying, let us create man in our image. Us in our, the Godhead speaking here, God being one in essence and three in persons, God created man in his image. And Genesis 1 and 28 said that God blessed them. God then told them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. God gave us amazing weather and creation and nature. God said, you can enjoy all that I created, all the things that I provide for you, including the great sweater weather that we have outside. Enjoy it. Enjoy it all. You can have it all. Subdue it all. Enjoy it all except for this one thing. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. You can have everything else, but just not this one thing. If you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. God saw all that he has spoken to existence, and God said that it was very good. But someone else knew exactly what God had told Adam and Eve. Satan also speaks. We read about Satan speaking in Genesis 4. The crafty serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Satan was speaking to Eve, and like Satan does, he's crafty and tricky, Satan created doubt with Eve. Eve started to doubt that God was good, and Eve started to believe that God was withholding something from her. She and Adam ate of the fruit that God had commanded them not to, and as a result, the serpent Adam and Eve were cursed. We now live in the shadows of those curses. We now live in a world that because of sin, it is now not very good. We live in a world where sin is ever-present. We were born in a sinful world with a sinful nature. And because of our sin, our sin affects how we speak to each other. We also speak. People speak. In regards to your speech, I ask a question. 
Who or what do you speak of the most? If someone who didn't know you heard you talk for a week, excluding Sunday gatherings and parish meetings, would they ever hear about God? If you remember back through our sermon series through Exodus, you know that God, the first commandment that God gave the Israelites is to put God first. Place God before all things. Don't put any other gods before him. God wants to be who and what we speak of the most. God wants to be the most glorious object of our affections. So words matter. In fact, Matthew tells us that all of our words matter. Matthew 12, 36 through 37 says that we will have to give account for every careless word that we speak. When Christ returns, the words that you have said or not said are so important. When Christ returns, either you would have had said, God, I, I, I place my hope and faith in Jesus for salvation, or you would say about Jesus, I never knew him. Based on which statement is true for you, it will have eternal implication. God doesn't want us to waste our words, but rather have meaningful conversations about meaningful things. In fact, God allows us to speak the gospel, to be a part of his redemptive work in drawing men and women and children to himself, to put their faith and hope in Jesus for salvation. We get to be a a part of this. This is amazing. We speak the gospel and people repent of their sins and believe through God's grace. Words matter. The the main point of what we're going to say, the main thrust of what we'll say today is when you follow Jesus, your words indicate who have your heart. When you follow Jesus, your words indicate who have your heart. Think briefly about your words. Do your words reveal that you have a heart for God and his people? And we will use James 3 as our litmus test. The first couple of verses show us that we have great potential to sin in what we say. We have great potential to sin in what we say. We see in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. James does not exclude himself, and neither do I. James says we all stumble. James says that only the perfect does not sin in what they say. The word perfect here can mean perfect or mature. Mature men and women learn to bridle their tongues to some degree. James alludes to this early in this letter in James 1 and 26. He says, any man who does not bridle his tongue has a worthless religion. It has been said about the tongue that God gave us teeth to cage it in, and a mouth to close it up. Listen to the picture that Romans 3, 13 through 14 points for those who do not know God. It says that their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. bitterness. They use their tongues to deceive. Snake venom is under their lips. If we are followers of Jesus, our words should have a stark contrast to what Romans just described for us. And not only do we have great potential to sin in what we say, we also see 
in verses 3 to 6 that the tongue has great power. The tongue has great power. James tells us that the, the tongue has great power with three powerful illustrations. He talks about bits being placed in the mouth of horses. If we guide, if we put bits in the mouth of horses, we guide their whole bodies. I am from Mississippi, state line Mississippi to be exact, and a lot of my family ride horses. My, my father-in-law actually rides in a riding club called Smooth Riders where they get on these horses and they make these horses do really cool things. But before you can get on a horse, a wild horse, someone has to ride it first. Someone has to break it in. Someone has to ride it. Someone has to saddle it, put a bit in his mouth. And there's a guy who we knew, he was really good at speaking to horses and, and, and breaking the horses in and getting the horses to be written. James is saying in these verses that by controlling the mouth, you can control the entire body of a horse. The next illustration is one of a ship. James talks about a large ship being guided by a small rudder. I've been on large cruise ships before. They are massive. James was talking about a, a different type of ship, one that was driven by the wind, driven by strong wind as the verses tell us, and they are guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Ships today are a lot different than the one James was describing, but I got to see a very large cruise ship dock next to two other large cruise ships. It was a very tight space for this very large boat. I was certain that we would not fit in that tight space. But this large ship with precision and technology and a rudder a very small part in contrast to the rest of the ship on the stern side of the ship, it allowed us to dock. James was, was saying that something small was guiding something very big. James finishes his illustration pointing to the power of the tongue by speaking of a forest being set ablaze by a small fire. James says, so too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts of great things. We see this in verse 5. It boasts of great things. If, if a forest is dry and you don't prevent forest fires like Smokey used to encourage us to do, it doesn't take long for a fire to spread. The phrase spread like wildfire describes a fire covering great ground and great lengths in, in just a matter of moments. Your tongue carries words that can spread like wildfire. These statements can be for the betterment of people or to the detriment of people. People can be encouraged by what you say or deterred by what you say because when you follow Jesus, your words should indicate that Jesus has your heart. Can you think of someone who is critical of others or a gossip? People who speak like this often destroy everyone and everything in his path. If you've ever got into the crosshairs of someone like this, you haven't yet forgot it. In verse 6, James suggests that these words are satanic. James says that these words are set on fire by hell. The word used for hell is in reference to a place right outside of Jerusalem. During and after the Old Testament times, pagan people would sacrifice their children at this location. 
which is called the Valley of Hinnon. We see James is talking to us about the importance of our words. James used this point and this word to drive home the point that there is great power in the tongue. This is why James tells us earlier in this letter, in chapter 1, verse 19, for us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So there's great power in the tongue. And, and James also points to us that we won't do this perfectly. We won't communicate perfectly. We won't always have perfect words. 7 through 10 paints that picture for us of our inability to control the tongue. We have an inability to control the tongue. So James contrasts it with some animals that we've learned to tame, things that we have learned to tame. Maybe you've heard of messenger pigeons that we taught to carry messages from one place to another. Maybe you've heard of an alligator, in some cases, allowing a trainer to put his head in its mouth. Maybe you've heard of large orcas, which are sometimes called killer whales, allow trainers to ride on their backs. If you've ever tried to train an animal, you know how hard it is. I kept getting uh, the image of a lion trainer in my head. So imagine the first person to train a lion, right? Like, like had to be part courageous and crazy to train a lion. But, but eventually you do it. You, you train a wild lion. You, you get the lion to sit. Well, maybe not sit, but you get the lion to roar, and most importantly, you get the lion to not kill you. That would be my chief training tool. Please don't kill me, lion. But James says, but taming the tongue, it can't be done. So we can train a lion, but can't train our tongue. James says that it is a restless evil. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison in regards to the tongue and how we communicate. We can fool the people around us, right? We can fool the people at this church gathering in our parishes. We can fool the people at our workplaces. We can convince people to think that we're nice, we're courteous, and considerate. But our close friends, they know who we really are. If you're married, your spouse especially knows who you are. They know what we are like, what we like, what we dislike, what we hate, based on how we use our words. James knew that blessing God and speaking bad about people made in the image of God is hypocritical. You can't love God if you don't love his creation. Our words show what we love. James is saying that we have a problem. Our tongue is a problem, but it's not the problem. James is saying that no man can tame the tongue, but the problem that we have is deeper than that. The next two verses help to shine a light on something that maybe we have been spiritually blind to. Verses 11 and 12, it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brother. The, the one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother. I'm sorry, wrong spot. It says, does a spring bring forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What does this mean? These two verses show that our words 
are an indication of our heart. Our words are an indication of our heart. So I ask you, how is your heart? How is your heart? After hearing these words, you might need to repent and say, Lord, based on my words, my heart is far from you. God, give me a new heart so that I can talk better about your creation. God, only you can do that work. In the synoptic gospel of Mark in chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, a question is asked to Jesus about what defiles a person. They're asking Jesus, and I'm summarizing what Jesus says, but Jesus is saying to the people, and, and in that time, they were, they were all about ceremonial impurity. They thought that ceremonial impurity was our chief problem. So at that time, it was all about being clean or unclean. Jesus was telling them that your chief problem is not being ceremonially unclean, but your chief problem is your heart. Jesus says that that out of the, the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensualities, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus was saying that being around sinners is not your problem. In fact, Jesus showed us and modeled for us that we should be around sinners. You should be around people who are not believers. That is our goal as believers, to be around people who are not followers of Jesus, demonstrate the love of Christ, and to declare the gospel to them. We should be around sinners. It was said of Jesus that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Might we be guilty of the same? Might people say the same thing about us, that we are friends of sinners based on the people that we hang around? James then says that freshwater springs do not produce salt water. As soon as salt water gets into a freshwater spring, it is no longer freshwater. It is now salt water. Figs don't produce olives. Grapevines don't produce figs. These illustrations point us to one central truth, and that is sinful words come from a sinful heart. We can't bless God and curse our neighbor in the same breath. We can't do this. Based on these last two verses, we see that our words are an indication of our heart. We see this elsewhere in Scripture. We see this in Luke 6, 43 through 49, and I'm going to summarize this as well. But it says, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. If you want to to know and look at someone and say, are they a true follower of Jesus? You know a tree by its fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. And verse 45 says that an evil man produces out of the evil storehouse. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What you think about, what you pray about or or don't pray about, what you spend your time doing or not doing, all of that fills your heart. And out of an overflow of that, that is what you talk about. So, So what is filling your heart? Is it God and his word or is it something else? You made me like me when I read this for the first time, thinking that this passage seems to focus a lot on our inabilities. But remember who I mentioned spoke first. 
God speaks and God spoke. And God speaks to the hopeless, the dying, and the lost. We see that God continues to speak. We see him speak in Genesis 3 and 15 about the one that would come. He said that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This passage is the first announcement of the gospel that Jesus would come and bruise the head of Satan. Jesus came to conquer all the enemies of God. Jesus conquered Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. Christ was victorious over all of them. The prophet spoke about who would come. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 and 5 that he will be pierced for our transgression and he will be crushed for our iniquity. Jesus would be that one who was pierced for us. Jesus would have nail-pierced hands and nail-pierced feet and Isaiah would, would say even further that it was the will of the Father to crush the Son. At the end of John 1 and 1, it says that the Word is God. We are a new creation in the Word, the Word being Christ. We don't speak perfectly, but Christ did. Jesus spoke perfect words, and Jesus is our perfection. Jesus spoke an amazing phrase. He spoke some amazing words when he was dying in our place. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus took on the full wrath of God. He bore our sins on the cross. And because Jesus died for us, we get to tell others about what Jesus did. We get to be a part of what Jesus is doing in Houston, Texas as the church. Jesus is building a church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Just like James was a part of a Christian community, so are we. And as the church, the church also speaks. The church also speaks. As I close our time together, how can we, as the bride, the body of Christ, speak to the people of Houston, our neighbors and people at our workplace? How can we speak to them? I challenge you to do two things. Speak the truth and go. Speak the truth. Ephesians 4 and 15 talks about our speech. We should speak the truth to each other in love. We should speak on behalf of Jesus. We follow the example that Jesus set. Like I said earlier, might it be true of us that we will be guilty of being friends of sinners? If you are only around other Christians all day, every day, you need new friends. You need people who are not believers around you. You need people who think differently than you. You need people in different waters than you, and that is my challenge. You might need to tell your friend that is a believer, if you can, like, hey, I got this other person that I need to spend some time with. Not that your friendship isn't valuable, but my Circle is too insulated. It's too many people who think like me, around me. That is a challenge, but that is something that we should strive to do, to not only be like people who think like us. So speak the truth in love. Finally, we go. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, paints a picture of Isaiah responding to the holiness of God. Isaiah gets this image of the cherubim worshiping God, and all that they could say about God was that he was holy, holy, holy. 
God then asked, who shall I send and who will go from us? Isaiah says, send me, I'll go. Might your words be similar to what Isaiah said? Pray and ask God who and where you should take the gospel to next. Verse 5 of James 3 says that the tongue boasts of great things. It says that the tongue boasts in, of great things. Might our tongues boast in the fact that Christ was at the beginning of creation? Christ lived the life that we could not live. Christ died the death that we deserved. Christ rose from the grave. Christ ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of God interceding for us. And Christ will come again. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, as I think about you coming, we say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. And when you come, might we be accused of being friends of sinners? Might we be accused of having meaningful conversations about meaningful things? Might when people think about us, might they say that they spoke well of you, God, and they spoke well of others? God, help us lead us to people in this city who are not yours. God, lead us by your spirit to meet the needs of those around us. God, help our tongue to boast in you. Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. God, we can't do anything without you, especially control our tongue, but by your spirit, enable us to do that. Enable us to control our tongue. And when we don't do that perfectly, remember that Jesus is our perfection. We were not righteous. Jesus imputed a righteousness on us that we didn't have, so we rest in Christ's finished and perfect work. Spirit, enable us to do great things for your name. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.